0: <laughs> Alright, good morning, good morning Alright, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 We'll put our slides up here We have some verses that we want to look at And we have our outline as well uh, I made this uh, outline so it may not follow exactly what your book has But there's some verses that I wanted us to have in front of us up here on the screen as we consider some important concepts. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we will open in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we're grateful that we can come to it this morning and receive instruction and encouragement and rebuke and help. And we pray that you would help us to take the lesson this morning and to grab a hold of this challenging thought that you want us to be an example and that you provide the grace for us to do so, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, And in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And that's as far as we'll go this morning. And uh, Lord willing, we'll tackle the rest of the verses next week. But an overwhelming theme of the book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians is the persecution that they were enduring. And the the second coming of Jesus Christ the rapture, uh, his second coming, and Paul um, helping us understand the difference between those two things. But understanding that the Thessalonian believers were going through intense persecution in their church at Thessalonica is important for us to really understand the message and why Paul says the things that he does through the Holy Spirit. And our challenge this morning and next week will be Uh, being an example and God gives you and me the grace to do so but first of all we see God's place for the believer in the first half of verse one he says Paul Silvanus Timotheus we don't know if Silvanus and Timotheus were a part of writing the letter Uh, perhaps they gave input perhaps they were just so close to the church that they included their greeting but regardless these three folks greet the church at Thessalonica, and they say it is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has, for you and me, an irreversible place, something that cannot be taken away. We have a place in Christ and in God the Father. Turn to, first John, or turn to John chapter 10. It's up here on the, the screen. John chapter 10. But Jesus makes an interesting and encouraging promise to you and me as believers. And this will enable you and I to have the courage to be an example. Knowing that we have a place in Christ, an eternal place that can never be lost. And no matter what problems we face, we can choose to be an example through Christ's Spirit because of the reality that we can never perish in Christ. John chapter 10. Jesus says... My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Focus in with me on verse 28. He says, And they shall never perish. In our Greek New Testament, this is a very strong statement. It's the strongest that can be made with the Greek language that God chose to use. And a literal interpretation would be, Never, ever, under any circumstances, shall they perish into the forever. (laughs) Pretty strong, huh? It's a double negative. Now, when I use a double negative in English, it actually makes a positive, right? I'm not going to not go there, which means I'm going to go there. But in the Greek text, there are two negatives side by side. And the idea is that they reinforce each other and make it an impossibility. I cannot ever be lost in Christ. And so we are reminded of that immediately in 1 Thessalonians 1. Verse 1, that we have a place that can never be lost. Uh, Turn over to uh, Colossians chapter 1 and consider a few more verses that reinforce this truth. Verse 22, or verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and and unblamable and unreprovable in his sight that for which christ shed his own blood can never be lost it's one thing to ask someone to be an example when the end result is really very sketchy and unknown it's another thing to ask someone to be an example when we know what the outcome is going to be god doesn't ask me to be an example without assuring me that it will be all right in the end, no matter how I may fail, no matter what may happen to me through the world. So we see God's place for the believer. And then we see God's grace for the believer. Look at the second half of verse 1. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. If the Thessalonians were undergoing intense persecution, which they were, would it not be important for them to understand that God's grace and peace were available to them? And honestly, who doesn't need grace and peace? Yes, you and I aren't going through the same persecutions, but who doesn't need grace and peace on a daily basis? I know I do. I know I do. But notice the word order grace and peace. You see, without the grace of God, there cannot be true peace. I wrote this ver- or put this verse up here, Romans 5. This really explains what we're trying to talk about here. Through faith, you and I can unlock the door to God's grace. And that's not us doing any good work. That's just us choosing to believe what God has said. That if we will put our trust in him, his grace is there. And through that comes his peace. The world says, well, we will get peace through compromise, or we will get peace through education, or we will get peace through uh, acceptance. But God makes it clear that peace, true peace, only comes through his grace. Were it not for God choosing to give us his peace through unmerited favor and showing us that that is accessed by faith, there would be no peace. I love Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein you stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see all three working there so beautifully. God's grace, the faith that that accesses that grace or unlocks the door, and then the resultant peace from that. And God reminds us through his letter to the Thessalonians, hey, my peace is there, but only my grace brings it and only faith accesses it. So you and I will be good examples by choosing to believe in what God has said and choosing to access the peace uh, that is brought through grace. Next, we see the response to the gospel in verses uh, 2 through 4. We give thanks to God, always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul was an example to the Thessalonian believers in that he never underestimated the value of the Christian. You know, God loves every believer. And he died to save everyone, and his blood has paid for everyone. It is only efficacious to those who choose you put faith in him right he's the savior of all men especially of those that believe that's the idea there but God loves every believer even the ones who are disobedient immature erring does that describe you and me at times I hope it doesn't describe us right now but it may it will certainly describe us at some point in the very near future and uh, we need to remember and follow Paul's example, as I believe the Thessalonians did, in that we value every believer. It's easy for me to discount believers who are immature or in blatant sin or blind to something that should be very obvious. It's easy for me to just write them off in in my mind and say, well, not worth my time. But the Holy Spirit of God wants me to, to work through me and wants to encourage and help, rebuke if necessary, but value everyone that Christ died for. Obviously, we value everyone, but we are to love and cherish fellow believers in a special way, regardless of where they're at spiritually. And Paul says, we give thanks to God always for you all. And there were some folks in the Thessalonian church who, uh, as we'll get into this, but In the Second Thessalonians, we're going to find some folks who had just quit working. They were busybodies. They thought the return of Christ was imminent. Hey, let's just give up our jobs. And this has happened to numerous believers down through the ages who have fallen into the trap of thinking they know when Christ is coming back. But there were folks who were busybodies and idle. And there were those who were weak uh, morally, weak spiritually, weak emotionally. Paul says, no, I, I, I give thanks always to God for you all. For all of them. And this is the kind of heart that a pastor must have. This is the kind of heart that every believer should have. This is the kind of heart that we all should uh, seek to let the Lord foster in our lives. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Unceasingly. This word unceasingly is used three times in this epistle. And I believe once. Once in two other epistles and so it appears here more than anywhere it appears in chapter four i believe it appears again in chapter two but the point being that this was an unbroken continual thing and paul set the example to the thessalonian believers of their prayer life and their concern of how it should be and so it should be with me my concern for you shouldn't be hit or miss Uh, Do I remember to pray for every single one of you every single day? I wish I could say yes, but I do not. But the truth is... (laughs) Charlie's like, that's what's wrong. But the truth is, my care for you, my desire for your welfare should be unbroken and unceasing. And the Lord can do that through our lives if we'll let him. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Salvation had wrought an effect and a change in their life. Now did anyone catch, um, did anyone catch some wrong doctrine in this lesson as they may have read through the lesson guide? Anyone? Uh, There's Calvinism. got it. Okay. There's Calvinism here. so I changed the evidence of their election, although I really don't have a problem with that phrase. I changed it just because of where they took it, and I changed it to evidence of salvation. And so we will will draw out their errors here in a moment. But um, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Salvation should bring a change of behavior. I am justified before God by faith in the righteousness of his son. Period. Nothing less, nothing more. I am justified before you by what I do. Am I not? And I am going to convince you or not convince you of the truth of my salvation based on my behavior, my attitude, my motives. I'm justified by faith before God. But true salvation will bring a change of heart. We see that consistently. And so it's important that we allow the Spirit to work through us and to produce works evident of salvation so that we can be a better testimony to a lost world James chapter 2 the Thessalonians were examples in that they let this happen Uh, they allowed the spirit to work in their lives they put forth effort what doth it profit my brethren though a man say he hath faith and have not works can faith save him Uh, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food and one of you saying to them "Uh, depart in peace be warmed and filled Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what the prophet? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And then verse 18 really wraps up what Paul, or what James is trying to drive home. Yea, a man may say, uh, I have fa- thou hast uh, faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And so don't get confused when you read the book of James. We're not saved by works but we are justified in the eyes of men by what we do when we claim to have something they don't have and we are offering it to them and we are certainly not right with God if we do not let the Spirit produce those works that He desires and encourages us to let Him produce. And so they were examples. They had a work, a labor of faith. There was a labor of love, an exhaustive labor. The idea of putting forth Uh, effort to the point of exhaustion they showed love to others I don't think I wrote down a verse for this one no that's the end Okay. Um, they had put forth a labor an exhaustive labor of love toward others in verse 3 or chapter 3 verse 12 the Lord shows us that they had love toward all people lost and saved and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another And toward all men, even as we do toward you. In verse chapter 4, verse. Let me peek at my notes. Thank you. Chapter 4, verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren that are during all Macedonia, Paul says and so their love was evident and is this not what should set you and me apart from the world is this not probably the thing that is hardest for many of us to, I hate to use the word master because we don't really ever master anything inside of eternity and become perfect here but I think you know what I mean Is this not the hardest thing when someone maligns you or beguiles you or hates you or or devalues something you love and value? Is it not very tempting for that old flesh to come up and to just produce hatred? Just be honest and transparent. It's easy to hate, right? But you know what? If we let the Spirit of God love people through us, we can fulfill this commandment. And the only way we can do it is to let God work through us. I love what Paul says in Titus chapter uh, 2. Put them in mind, he says, to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to be no brawler but gentle, showing all meekness to all men. That's the love of Christ right there. He says, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, hateful, that is the idea of being hateable. Like... Man, that's disgusting. That thing in there is easy to hate. That's what Paul is saying. We were that way. Hateful and hating one another. So not only were we hateable, but we were also hateful toward people. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, he says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the regenerating uh, work of the Holy Spirit. And so... This labor of love is what sets you and me apart, or should set you and me apart. And I have noticed consistently, and this has been a consistent thing, when I am not letting the Spirit of God love people through me, I'm miserable. And I have noticed when other Christians do not care for people the way God wants them to, there is something in their life that is making them miserable. They are not fully happy, fully content in the Lord. That has been consistent. I've seen that consistently. When someone's like, I just can't stand people. If you hear a Christian say that, mark it down. As you observe them, hopefully that's not you. Okay? But if you struggle with that, mark it down. There is something between that individual and God that is not right. And there is something awry in their lives. Consistent. I've never yet found that to be different. And I've certainly found it true in my own life. Because God, Jesus, I just put this in plain language, Jesus loves people. And how can any of us who are saved say, well, I just really don't like people if Jesus lives in us. That doesn't make any sense, right? And so this labor of love is one of the primary things by which you and I will be an example to the world. He says, and patience of hope. Why do you suppose he may have put that last? What were the Thessalonians struggling with in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians? What were they fearful of? They thought they were going through the tribulation. And as we, we go through the book, we'll see the evidences of that mindset. They thought perhaps Jesus is you know, didn't come back for us and we're going through the tribulation. And how are we going to make this? Because persecution was bad and they had been fed some wrong doctrine and there were some false epistles floating around. And Paul talks about those in 2 Thessalonians when he says, Don't you be afraid by men or by anything else or by letter as from us. We didn't send these letters out. There were false epistles floating around. And so these folks were scared. So Paul puts hope in our Lord Jesus Christ last. And surely that's what every single one of us needs. Because we can endure anything if we fully believe and understand that Jesus is returning and that he's already won the victory. I was reading through uh, Revelation, and turn to Revelation 13 for me. I saw this phrase twice, and it encouraged me and seemed to fit with what we're talking about. Revelation 13. It's a phrase that I've read over many times, and in the past, I didn't pay it much attention. Revelation 13.10, but there's some great doctrinal truth here that will encourage you if you grab a hold of it. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. Now we're we're talking about the tribulation here, okay? That's the context. The antichrist, the tribulation. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Now this isn't saying that if you ever use self-defense you're going to hell. Okay, you understand the context. The antichrist is ruling and reigning. Nobody eats, buys, sells without 666 or 666. There's war everywhere. There's fear everywhere. Everybody hates God. Nobody wants God. And everybody's living by his own wits or trying to. And God's simply saying anyone who falls into that mindset is going to perish with that mindset. But then he says at the end of verse 10, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. It's opposite to all that. They're not running around afraid of men. They fear God. They're not picking up the sword, joining all the wars of the Antichrist, killing and slaying. No, they have something different. They have the promise of the return of their Savior. Here's the patience of the saints. He repeats it again in chapter 14. Chapter 14, uh, begin in verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Side note. Okay, just, this is just a pet peeve of mine. I'm so tired of Christians talking about how they're afraid of getting the mark of the beast. Okay? You do not understand Bible theology if you think you can accidentally get the mark of the beast and if you think you can get it as one of Christ's legitimate children. Because it's true, it's it's apparent that if you get it, you're going to hell. And we already know, you're a Christian, you can't lose your salvation. So, simply, don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. Okay? <laughs> Sorry. That's just one of my crispish blatant things just don't be dumb okay sometimes you just don't know what else to say go back to the scriptures read them uh we can refute a lot of false doctrine if we just know our bible the people who get the mark are going to do so they're they're going to be lost and they're going to choose the fear of man over the fear of god and they're going to be damned forever because of that you say well how are they no longer reconciled God has all that figured out. I have no idea. But it's clear that if they get it, it's over. They've made their choice. Okay. So, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here's something totally opposite to all of that. The hope of our Lord Jesus Christ and the promise of his return. So these are not light words. When Paul says, look, I know all these things about you. And I know your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our father. And keeping that in focus, my friends, will help you and me be examples the way we need to be. We lose sight of that. then things will become difficult. And Paul says basically in verse 4, uh, all this is true because I know for a fact you're saved. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now, if you have your lesson guide, please turn there. They, um, they read into this verse and they did eisegesis. Exegesis. <clears throat> uh, exo means to draw out, right? To pull something out, to come out of. To pull something out of the text. A faithful servant exegetes the scripture. He pulls things out that are there. A false prophet or a disobedient servant or a fool practices eisegesis. He inserts into the text. And that's what they've done here. Uh, On page 21 under chosen, the heading chosen, it says, Paul is confident that the Thessalonians were believers because of the faith, love, and hope he saw in their lives okay agreed he knew that they had elected he knew that God had elected or chosen the Thessalonians not a problem until he gets to the prepositional phrase to salvation Ah, that's not what he said Okay, it's not what he said God didn't choose them to be saved and choose others to be damned by implication alright well maybe we'll let that slide but then they go on and they say the Thessalonians had been persuaded and had believed when they heard Paul's message Okay, no problem there. Because God was working in them, still no problem. Until we get to this statement, he caused them to respond in faith. Ah. Wrong. And so elected, and we've gone through this, I'm not going to go through it thoroughly again. okay? But I will turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at some very clear things concerning election. This word means chosen. God has chosen me how do you become the chosen or the elected of God somebody tell me how do I get it how do I become an elect believe in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved you want to be an elect person not a problem believe the gospel and you're there okay? knowing brethren, and beloved your election of God how does God choose people he chooses them in Christ out of Christ nope You have no chance of being one of the elect. And Ephesians 1, 3 makes it clear. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, or that is in Christ, according to the context, before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, God chose, knowing what man would do, he chose that man should, would be made chosen vessels unto him in his son and by no other means. So they've, they've, they have done eisegesis. If you're a Calvinist, you are an eisegete. You're not an exegete. Okay? You put things there that aren't there. And so he has inserted into this that God chose them to be saved. When that's not what he's saying. Paul says, knowing your election. I know your choosing in Christ. I know you're there in Christ because these works are evident in your life. Having predestinated us, those of us who have chosen to accept Christ, uh, we are predestinated to, some, to certain things. One of those being the adoption of children. The second one being the praise of the glory of his grace. And so, like I said, we have been through um, Calvinism thoroughly. I don't want to spend a ton of time there, but I did want to point out that error in your study guide. And so, you and I should be examples of the chosen of God because we are special to God. So, act like it, right? It's that simple. <laughs> if you're a chosen vessel, act like a chosen vessel. If you're a piece of china, don't act like a piece of campware. Okay? I mean, it's that simple. Um, act like what you have been called to, the vocation wherewith to which you and I have been called. Next we see the effectiveness of the gospel. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. This was not some pseudo gospel followed up by works of the flesh. This was the real deal. And it was was solidified and backed up by God through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the power of God. And that is what people want to see in my life and in yours. If we let Christ work through us, then the gospel we tell them will carry weight. If we act carnal and engage in carnal behavior and engage in carnal activities and devalue the things that God values, then our gospel is going to carry very little weight in the eyes of others. Not to say that they couldn't be saved because God is great, but the point is that we damage the testimony of Christ. Paul did not uh, hurt the gospel nor did his laborers that were with him hurt the gospel through their behavior. Instead, they reinforced everything that was spoken. They were examples. And so were the Thessalonians as they followed the example of Paul and Silas and uh, Timotheus. So as we get into this, let's you and me be examples for Christ. Let's not forget that it's God grace that enables us. Let's not forget that we have the hope of the return of Jesus to motivate us and encourage us. And let's not forget to let the Spirit work through us and produce that labor of love, that patience, and those works of faith that others can see. So that they too might be convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've given us here. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to be examples. We thank you for your love. We pray that you would guide and direct in the rest of the service. We pray that you would be with uh pastor as he preaches. Help us to receive your word and apply it. We pray that you would be with Lisa as she interprets. We pray, Father, that you would help us to sing to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.